happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU.FM. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, and alongside me is my co-host, Ryan Waltzman. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Luca. I'm excited for this show, man. It's going to be good. Awesome. Well, everyone today, Nick Winkleman from Plano, Illinois, will be joining us today via On the Call to discuss his predictions and debate recent sporting events. Before we get started, some news on Mizzou. Mizzou's first soccer match of the season will have to wait a bit longer as it was postponed due to student-athletes of the Florida Gators getting positive COVID tests. It has been announced that Mizzou and Florida will try to play sometime later in the season. As of now, though, Mizzou will open its season on the road against South Carolina on September 27th. Also, Tiger football starts next Saturday against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Before we take a break, I just wanted to mention, if you can't listen to our whole show live, don't you worry. We upload our podcasts on Spotify. Just search Around the Waves, and you can listen to all episodes when you please. back right now on KCOU and we're going to start with our opinion segments. We're going to talk about them Cowboys. We're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns. And finally, we're even going to talk about the Titans kicking situation. On the first Sunday night football game of the 2020 NFL season, the LA Rams opened their new stadium with a 2017 win over the Dallas Cowboys. 
Things got controversial on a last-ditch drive in the final minutes as Dak Prescott found Michael Gallup running down the sideline for a monstrous gain that would have put the Cowboys within field goal range, but the play was called back due to offensive pass interference. Ryan, who do we blame for the Cowboys' loss? Yeah, Luca, I'm gonna get to you. I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. I want to go back to the Mizzou football, just in case no one no one really knew about it. Uh, there will be 12 players out versus the Alabama game due to COVID-19. Also, two players opt out: wide receiver Maurice Macy and defensive tackle Chris Daniels. So we'll see what Mizzou can do without. 12 guys against a big rough team in Alabama but to get back to the Dallas game yeah I wanted to just tell you about the Dallas game of course like you said that big game that could have been huge for the Cowboys but I think the reason they lost man was in the fourth quarter with 11:43 to go they were they were fourth and three and what does Dak decide to do they decide to go for it and they don't get it but they have Greg the leg Zerline lurking on the sides, and they didn't choose him to hit easily. I think he easily would have tied the game up. Lucas would have been an 11-yard field goal. So I think the Cowboys only have themselves to blame. But to get back to your, uh, to your call, yeah, that was clearly pass interference on Michael Gallup, who only had 50 yards that game, and Amali Cooper only had 81 yards. Dak went 25 for 39, had 266 yards, could have had two touchdowns, but one did get taken back, so he only had one. And big Zeke Elliott only had 96 yards with a total of one touchdown. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you got to be looking, looking for more touchdowns from Z- Big Zeke Elliott. So back to you, Luca. But I think the Cowboys ended up kicking themselves in the butt on that game. They definitely did. And back to your pass interference call. Everyone, yes, that was pass interference. The last time I checked, if an offensive player extends their hand into an offensive player's uh, stomach or whatever you want to call it, Michael Gallup did extend his arm into Jalen Ramsey. And that is clearly offensive pass interference. And that call should be called every time. But getting to the question, I don't even know who to blame at this point. Could it be Dak Prescott for his mediocre performance? Sure. Could it be Michael Gallup with the offensive pass interference later in the game? It could be. Could it be Amari Cooper whose presence seemed to just vanish when they needed him most? Absolutely. Could it have been Michael McCar- or Mike McCarthy with his old school pedestrian-like system? Of course it could be. But in fact, I don't even know who to blame. Because the Dallas Cowboys, once again, we have to blame them all because... They cannot use the talent they have at their disposal and produce wins once again. I want to be very clear about this. If you're Dallas and you have all of these 3,000-yard receivers and you got this great rusher, a new coach, Jason Garrett's out of town, you should be winning this game by a lot anyway when the pass interference occurred. They should have kicked the field goal, Ryan, like you said, when they had the fourth and third earlier in the game to tie it. Instead, what did they do? They fell short. And I'm not sure if you saw this in the game, but they fall, They basically folded on multiple occasions on third down. And to go on fourth down in that sort of situation, I don't like that. It's the same thing as last year with them. Terrible on third down. They don't look explosive on offense. And, in fact, their offense throughout this entire game, it's I almost compare it to having no toppings on your hamburger. There was no lettuce, no onions, no cheese, etc. It was too generic. This is an offense where we talk about their talent. It was relatively predictable with Mike McCarthy's calling. It was relatively pedestrian. You have the same offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore last year. You had the number one offense last year, and things remain the same. Oh, by the way, they only scored three points in the entire second half, so I think the Cowboys should be basically be blamed for their loss. 
Yeah, no, Luke, I definitely agree. Uh, also in that game, though, LA fans will be happy to know that Jared Goff actually looked like he was back to himself, throwing 275 yards, going 20 for 31 on completions. He did throw one interception, but wasn't really a big turning in the game. Malcolm Brown had a day. He, throwed, he went 79 yards, total two touchdowns. Robert Woods went 105 yards in receiving. And I think if you're, if you're the Cowboys, man, you let Malcolm Brown score two touchdowns on you, man, that is that, that's harsh. But, uh, yeah, Luca, uh, we'll get back to uh, now the Nuggets and Clippers Game 7. That was a big one. Yes, it definitely was. And after coming back from that 3-1 down in the opening round against the Utah Jazz, the Nuggets had to overcome three consecutive double-digit def- – or, I'm, yeah, the Nuggets, I'm sorry, double-digit di- uh, deficits <laughs> against the Clippers to win three straight games and advance to the Western Conference Finals. The Nuggets are the first team in postseason history with three straight double-digit comeback wins when facing elimination. So, Ryan, was this bad Clippers or good Nuggets? Man, that's a tough one, but I will just start off by saying I think it was good Clippers. Jamal Murray, let's start off talking about him. I think he took over this game. He was 6-for-13 on threes, scored 40 points, and... The Nuggets took the lead with 8.55 in the third quarter, and they never looked back, and that was it for the Clippers. They held Kawhi to just 14 points, and Paul George only had 10. The Clippers held, held the lead until the third quarter. They had the league, a lead almost the whole entire game, and then they lost it in the third quarter and never gave it back. The largest margin in the game was nine until the fourth, until the fourth quarter, but Jamal Murray and company just said, we're not going to lose, and it's the first time to come back from a 3-1 deficit two times in the playoffs for the Nuggets, and that's the first time in, in NBA history that that's been done. And the Nuggets now hopefully don't look to go back 3-1 and one against the Lakers, but they hopefully look to make a really good series here against the Lakers because I think a lot of leap a lot of people had them were written that were having them written off and that everyone wanted that Lakers and Clippers matchup but Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just folded in game seven and you're gonna see a Nuggets and Lakers game uh next round so I mean we'll see what happens but uh, to answer your question I think it was good Nuggets all right well before I get started with the actual question I would love to get props to Mike Malone the, the Nuggets coach he has done now this twice in these playoffs in Denver, like Jamal Jamal Murray said, they do deserve credit and they deserve more respect as they are a problem. They are clearly a problem. And you understand this for the Clippers? This was a straight joke out, joke job. You understand that? I have I have never seen a two-time MVP, a two-time champion, you're up 3-1 in the series in the second round of the playoffs, not the conference finals against Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the Lakers. You were down by 20. 20 in game seven with 210 left to play. You want to tell me how you're a, a, a basically a clutch player? I mean, he Kawhi Leonard was not even the second best player in game seven on that floor. He went one for 11 in the second half, not a trip to the free flow line, and he didn't get even fouled. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and the company, they just dominated in that fourth round or the fourth quarter. Lou Williams was horrendous this entire series couldn't stop the bleeding anyway in games five through seven and it's crystal clear i hope nba teams are taking note load management lack of chemistry and not being together for the entire series or season it is affected success they were the clippers were supposed to be elite on defense with guys in Kawhi leonard and paul george they are given that they are defensive specialists but in game seven jamal murray dropped 40 
And Jokic put up 16 points and dominated Montrell's Harrell in the paint by getting 22 rebounds. And don't get me started with Paul George about missing that wide-open three-pointer. Yeah, it's going to be a fun next round. Definitely can't can't count the Nuggets out because if they do go down in the next series, hold on to your hats because they could come right back like they did the last two series. Hey, we're going to go to a break. Uh, coming up next, we're going to invite our guest, Nick Winkleman. He'll be here. Uh, we will have him via the phone. Uh, but you're listening to KCOU-FM. Stay tuned. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and text us, If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's Jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Okay, company picnics Tuesday. Lou, you order those shirts? Nah, just gonna have my wife make some. Sit down. Shut your mouth. Y'all gonna look like a bunch of suckers. Hey, who's this guy? They call me T-Shirt. Shirt. Unless you get your threads from Digit Graphics. Whether it's for your work, your team, or your charity, Digit Graphics will have you looking good. Would we look as cool as you? Not a chance in hell, but you will dig it. Check out DigitGraphics.com. Don't just wear it, dig it. Shirts. All right, now that we finished NBA, we're going to go back to the NFL. Um, we're going to go with the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns opened the 2020 NFL season with a new coach hoping for a strong start to the season. But it didn't help that they started the season against reigning MVP Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. Nothing went right for the Browns as they were defeated 38-6 to and haven't won a season opener since 2004. Everyone, I would like to welcome Nick Winkleman on, onto our show, and he's going to do this uh, debate with me. Nick, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right, awesome. Uh, welcome to the show, by the way. So, questions for you. Should Baker, May- ba- Baker Mayfield be benched? Uh, I'm going to say no. I think Baker Mayfield should definitely remain the starter in Cleveland. Okay, I have a question for you. How long should that be? How long should that be? Well, yeah. at least for a couple years. I mean, so... His backup is Case Keenum. Keenum has had a good, one good season with the Vikings, and that was in part the Vikings team was good that year. Bake or sorry, Case is also five years older than Baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one start for Baker isn't really indicative. I mean, it was against the Ravens. Okay, and it was. No preseason, uh, new coach again, and 38-6 sounds a lot worse than, you know, it could have easily been like 17-13 to end the half, and it was 24-6. to mm-hmm. uh, That wasn't bad play by Baker. The last drive of the first half for the Browns mm-hmm. ended with a drop by OBJ 
just wide open drop on third and two, followed by a missed field goal by the kicker. And so they got no points out of that. And that had nothing to do with Baker, just for one example. Okay. So I have, I'm going to address that there was no preseason. Um, there were other teams that came out to perform. Baker Mayfield was not one of them. After this game, after this game, if they lose this game, he belongs on the bench. You understand that? It was the I understand it was the first season of the uh, first game of the season. I understand that, but they weren't even sync. They weren't even in sync as a collective unit. And for some, and for reports to come out already and say how Baker Mayfield isn't on the same page as Odell, Odell Beckham Jr., his number one receiver. And they had all of last season. They had all of the offseason to create some sort of chemistry, and I still haven't seen it. Keep in mind, Nick, keep in mind, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick in a Heisman Trophy winner, and he just went up against a guy in Lamar Jackson who was picked in last, last in the first round of the NFL draft. And you see the drastic difference in terms of skill set and development. Baker Mayfield looks the exact same as last season. He actually looked horrible in that game. Well, Baker Mayfield is no Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is definitely better than Baker. But we're not comparing Baker to Lamar. We're comparing Baker Mayfield to Chase Keenum. Okay. And, you know, if you want their third string, Garrett Gilbert, if you think for some reason he'd be there. And I think out of those three guys, Baker Mayfield's the clear choice. Now, if Lamar Jackson were on the Browns, then yes, I would bench Baker Mayfield and start Lamar Jackson. Okay. But Lamar Jackson's not on the Browns. He's on the Ravens. He's playing lights out. The Ravens are going to be great this year. The Ravens are going to beat a lot of teams. We're not going to bench the quarterbacks of everyone the Ravens beat. Okay. So I, have a qu- so I just want to give you um, Baker Mayfield's uh, stats from the first game. Just, I thought I would give that. He connected 21 times out of his 39 pass attempts for 189 yards for a QBR of 33. Those are horrendous. He has more commercials with Progressive than the QBR he just posted on Sunday, okay? And by the way, did you see that Hulu Live uh, uh, commercial during halftime? I did not. All right. Well, guess who is in that commercial? Baker Mayfield. Once again, we see the advertisements. I see the endorsements, but where are the wins? You have old Beckham Beckham Jr. You have Jarvis Landry. You have Nick Chubb. You have Austin Hooper. What else do you need to have a successful season and at least be a respectable quarterback? Well, yeah, but... I mean, sure, you have Odell Beckham Jr., but you have Odell Beckham Jr. dropping two passes, including one with 47 seconds left in the game. I think, it, or 47 seconds left in the first half. Uh, still a competitive game. I think 17 to six. Two timeouts. I think they were at the Ravens' 40-yard line, mm-hmm. third and two. If he catches that, I'm telling you, they have at the very least a closer field goal that their kicker, who is now gone could have the chance to make but with luck another you know touchdown and then you have a four-point game going into the half because you burn some more time off the clock the Ravens aren't gonna score and then all of a sudden you know that that momentum there that can change everything Nick they put up six points six points 
They looked horrible. I understand they're going up against a great team. Most people know that Baltimore was going to win this game. I don't think people realize that Baltimore is going to win 38-6. to Baker Mayfield, the entire offense looked just horrible. Okay, he didn't even look good. He didn't even look respectable out there. I mean, you have the offensive weapons you need. His hype just clearly does not match the production. In sooner rather than later, you're going to gonna have your players are even gonna ask themselves, is Baker Mayfield that guy that belongs under the helm? Does he? Or do we need someone else like Case Keenum, who has proven it in the in the past against them with the Minnesota Vikings? He had some good weapons and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. So you almost have to ask yourself, if I'm Odell Beckham Jr., if I'm Jarvis Landry, I'm like, do I believe in this guy? Do I believe I can get to the playoffs at least? Do I believe I can have an above 500 record? Because I'm telling you, Baker Mayfield is on thin ice with this organization. They have the pieces to win. But the quarterback is seriously is seriously a problem. Well, I don't think Baker is the problem. I think, well, you want to say thirty-eight to six. The Ravens thirty-eight points. Mm-hmm. Baker gave up one. Baker gave up one pick. It wasn't like the great. Like it wasn't on the receiver or anything. Just, but it wasn't like a bad pick. I watched it. It was a uh, defender got a great read, tipped it. And then the other one got right under it, just barely managed to pick it off. Mm-hmm. Another turnover was on Nick Chubb, the running back, uh, eight yards downfield. Baker had nothing to do with that turnover. Uh, the Browns were missing, I think, four defenders from their secondary in week one. Obviously, that's going to lead to some to a lot more scoring by the Ravens. Yeah. So all of these actors here... Well. Well, I'm not saying that the Ravens aren't going to score. I mean, listen here. You got Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, Marquise Brown. You got all those guys. I understand they're going to score and, like, torch up the board. I'm talking about the offense that the Browns displayed. It was just abysmal to watch. I don't know what I was watching. I feel like the Ravens had the ball the entire game because Baker Mayfield couldn't do anything with the football. See, that's the difference. I don't think that it was Baker Mayfield's fault that the Browns kept giving up the ball. I think he made some great passes. I think he, you know, he messed up a couple times, as all quarterbacks do. But I think a lot of the issue was the rest of his offense around him, you know. You say he has Odell Beckham, and sure he has Odell Beckham, but what good is Odell Beckham if Odell Beckham's not playing like the you know one of the elite receivers in the league which he just absolutely was not on Sunday Odell Beckham was a subpar receiver I mean you know I know some some people in my fantasy leagues had him and they were not pleased at all because he did not do well all right as much as I would love to as much as I would love to continue this conversation um we're gonna fast forward to the Titans uh, Steve, so you're going to be joining Ryan for this one. Steven Guskowski's meltdown almost cost the Titans the season opener against the Denver Broncos on Monday night football. Tennessee's win over the Broncos was much closer than it should have been as Guskowski missed three field goals and an extra point, leaving 10 points on the board. Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Should the Titans be worried about their kicking situation? 
Luke, I'm going to say no, man. Uh, I know that Monday Night Titans did have flashbacks of Cairo Santo. You know, last year he came out against the Bills. He missed three field goals as well. Titans said, see you later, Buckaroo. But they have decided to stick with the 87% career field goal kicker in Steven Gaskowski. Sure, he missed a 47-yarder. Sure, he missed a 44-yarder that did get blocked. And he yanked a 42-yarder. But in at, in the end, Steven Gaskowski hit a 25-yarder with 17 seconds remaining to give the the Titans a win and I think he's the guy that you have to go with sure he might not he he may have been shaken up in the first game but hey man listen I gotta go with Nick on this one they didn't have preseason he didn't have that much time to get himself ready he was into a game the Titans needed someone big to show up for them as they've had kicking woes in the past couple of years and I do think they found their man in Steven Gaskowski. And I think with on the new team, Gaskowski just, just needs to wait. He needs to be patient when he comes to the kicks. I think he took his kicks way too quick Monday night. And I think uh, Sunday he's going to be back to his regular self. I think he's going to hit four field goals, and the Titans are actually going to come away with the win. That's a prediction, but uh, we'll see. I think Gaskowski, though, is the man that they need to stick with. Nick, what are your predictions on this one? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, right now, I'm th- I'm thinking no cause for alarm, you know. Uh, Steven Gaskowski, you know, this isn't like Cody Parkey, which, as a Bears fan, I know exactly how painful that was, where he just, he's a guy, he comes out, he just misses, 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 you get rid of him. This is a guy who's been kicking in the NFL for 15 years, he's super accurate, you know, and this, again... Really weird circumstances. Uh, Robbie Gold said that he thought the empty stadiums would maybe create a new variable kickers might not be able to handle. And, I mean, I think we saw some of that on Sunday. It wasn't just Gaskowski who missed kicks. There were, I think, 19 kicks missed across the league, including five extra points, and it was the highest they've had in 10 years, the highest number of missed kicks in week one in 10 years. So it's not just Gaskowski that's the problem. So... As long as he returns to form, which I think he will, as long as he returns to form, they're set for the rest of the season. You know, if he, against the Jaguars, Vikings, Steelers, next few games, starts to have some issues, sure, maybe you look at signing someone else. But for right now, I think I think they're set. Okay, well, thank you, Nick, for that. Uh, Luke, are we going to talk about baseball? Are we going to go to a quick break real quick? Right after we're going to take a quick break, quick. A quick break, okay. All right, well, we'll be right back after this, guys. Stay tuned. we got some MLB predictions coming up. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. KCOU would like to shout out East Side Tavern. It's the bar that's bizarre. Downtown Columbia's best karaoke comedy club. With a huge selection of drinks and activities and themed nights every week, East Side is a solid place to hang out. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? 
Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. I never trust a hoe again or get middlemen on blow again. Hmm. Plug, plug Texas on the floor, that mean that low back in. Ain't no question if I get it sold, nigga, know I will. I got good, good, dope, dope, dope. Come shop, you can cop whatever you want. Have my shooter slide down, get it in the gun. Now trip on him, I'ma hit whatever he don't. Say he slid on SB, nigga, know he lying. Making about her clout chasing, nigga, know he trying. Trust the ish like that, nigga, know he dying. Way before he make it to hell, nigga, know he fried. I don't purr about getting all right, everyone, we are back. Um, we're going to talk about Thursday night football. Nick's going to join us for this one as well as he's going to give his predictions of week two starting the today of the NFL season, starting at 730 as it's an Ohio rival game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Ryan, I'm going to start with you for this one. Which team earns their first win tonight, Browns or Bengals? You know, I Luca, I'm gonna really just go back to what you what you said. It really stuck with me. Baker Mayfield has more commercials than he does win. I think tonight yes, you're, you're gonna see Joe Burrow's first NFL win as a QB. I think the Bengals, you know, if he can find guys that he that he can if he can find guys that open, if their field goal kicker can get it going. I think Joe Burrow he looked amazing on Sunday, and for a lot of rookies out there, I. The, the, my, I think a lot of NFL analysis also said that Joe Burrow looked really dang good in his debut with the Bengals. I think they're going to go up there, and they're going to they're gonna beat Baker Mayfield's team tonight, man. I think Joe Burrow is going to get his first win as an NFL quarterback tonight. Oh, Nick, what do you think? I mean, I got to defend Mayfield. I just spent a whole however long we spent on that segment defending him. I think he's going to come out, and he's going to prove – that it wasn't on him. I think if the Browns lose, it will not be on Mayfield, but I don't think they're going to lose. I think that Nick Chubb will put up a great game. I think Baker Mayfield will put up some great passing stats, and I think they'll win. I think it'll be a close one, but I think the Browns have got this. Well, that's where I disagree. I'm going to make a bold prediction, and I'm going to be like Ryan. I am taking the Cincinnati Bengals. That's right, the Cincinnati Bengals to upset the Cleveland Browns for Joe Burrow's first win. I don't know if anyone watched the Bengals playing the Chargers. I understand that's not the most entertaining game, but I watched it, and I was encouraged what I saw from the Bengals' offense because the Chargers have some of the best corners in the league. They have two of the best pass rushers in the game in Boson Ingram. You have a young kid in Burrow, by the way, in the Bengals, who's just a stud. He's going to be the face of your franchise for years to come. You got a young coach in Zach Taylor. Yeah, you got a below average, you got a below average offensive line, but you have to consider the circumstances of what they faced during the Chargers. Joe Burrow looked stronger than I anticipated. He looked quicker. He looked comfortable. I understand he gave himself a D based on a D based on his performance, but I'm going to give him a B performance. That's what the start of a franchise quarterback looks like. Yes, he had a bad fourth quarter turnover. That could get in, and that could get to a young quarterback's head, but nothing phased him. He got the ball back. He marched down the field. He looked cool. He was calm. He was poised. He wasn't locked in with one receiver like Tyroy Taylor was with the Chargers. In my eyes, he's a better prospect than Baker Mayfield. If this is the opening act for Joe Burrow, this is a great sign for things to come. 
and I feel like he's going to start showing these encouraging signs here tonight in Cleveland. I'm going to take the Bengals. It's going to be a very close game, but the Bengals are taking it. All right, well, it's going to be a really, uh, I'd say it's a fun game. I know it's not the best indulging game. You know, not a lot of people are probably going to want to watch it, but it is Thursday Night Football. Football is back this week. It's the first game of week two, and it's Bengals at Browns, and you got our predictions. So we'll move on here to the MLB. Uh, Nick is really good at MLB. I'm pretty sure he knows his stuff. So we're going to go with some MLB predictions here. The MLB season is winding down, and we're almost ready for playoff baseball. It's almost October, Luke, already. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is. All right. So first off, we got the AL East, and here's my predictions for you. I think the Yankees may edge out the race for the division. The Yankees are three games back. They only have three games at home where the Yankees find themselves playing 20-7 and ball at, at Yankee Stadium this year. Remaining games for the Yankees, they got three at Boston, four at Toronto, three versus Miami, and all those games are winnable games. Toronto looks really good as in that young team. Miami, we'll get to them later, but they're, they're kind of scary as well. We got the Rays' remaining games, five at Baltimore, and I think if they, I do believe that if they take a lot of those games at Baltimore, Yankees could be in trouble. But I don't, I don't think you can count the Yankees out yet. They are three games behind, but they still got some games in hand, so we'll see what happens. Rays also still have three at the New York Mets, and they, got, they finish off their season uh, three versus the Phillies. Uh, my prediction for that uh, division, I'm going to say the Yankees are going to edge out the Rays. They're going to win the division. Uh, but, Luca, what are your thoughts for the AL East? I actually want to hear what Nick has to say first. Okay. All right, so I actually have kind of the opposite there. I have the Yankees falling even further back. I have them going six and five the rest of the way, and I have the Rays finishing it out eight and three to have the Rays take not only the best record in the AL East, but the best record in the entire AL at 39 and 21. I think that the Rays will sweep the Mets. I think the Yankees are going to split their four games against the Blue Jays, and that's probably the part that's the difference right there. Yeah, you know, Nick, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I already disagree with you a bunch earlier, but I'm going to agree with you on this one. I feel like the Yankees, all the talent they have, I mean, you look at that roster and you point to just talent. You really can't find a flaw. But the problem with the Yankees, it is injury after injury after injury. It's always something. But the Rays have proven to be the team that they are able to work with nothing and make it out of something. I mean, you you see Nate Lowe batting 267. You got Kevin uh, Kuramayer. You got you got Manuel Margot. But all that kind of stuff. I understand that their starting rotation has struggled a little bit in Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, and Tyler Glasnow. But their bullpen has been able to keep these games close. So I'm taking the Rays for AL East. All right, we'll move to the AL Central. And my pick for the AL Central. I'm going to go with the White Sox, but every, the question on everyone's mind probably, do the Twins have what it takes to take the division? They're two, point, they're two and a half games back of the White Sox. They got five more Holmes games where the I'm Twins... Jeremy. I'm Jocelyn. Where the I'm Twins five themselves. And we are Pearl and the Beard. You're listening Pardon to KCOU Columbia, 88.1 FM. Okay, pardon than that. Sorry about that. Uh, okay, so we got the the Twins remaining games. They got one at the, Colorado, uh, the, the Chicago White Sox, three at the Cubbies, two versus the Tigers, and three versus the Reds. But I did say before, the Twins find themselves playing 21-5 and five, 
uh, home uh, home ball games. That's a great record. The White Sox remaining games they got one versus Minnesota. So tonight they actually play each other, and that could that could decide if uh, one team's going to be back. The Twins win that game; they'll be one game back of the White Sox. White Sox win that game; they'll be, they'll have a three-game division lead. And uh, the White Sox have three at Cincinnati, still four at Cleveland, and three versus them Cubbies. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on this one? As I do think the White Sox have what it takes to win the division. As a Cubs fan, it does pay me to agree with you. I think the White Sox are going to win tonight, and I also think they're going to win the division. Uh, Twins in second, and then Indians in third there. All right. Well, guess what, guys? Um, I'm going to agree here. I got to give my man Rick Hahn of the White Sox some credit. Okay? He was able to take this team, build a team in literally less than four years, and make them superstars. I, I mean, I have never seen something like this before. The Cubs, I mean, yeah, the Cubs emerged and all, but the White Sox, you look at this lineup. You got Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez. Uh, you you got Yoan Moncada. The pitching's even good. Their bullpen got better as the season progressed. This team is full of energy. They are ready to emerge out of the N- on the AL Central. I think they're ready to make some noise in the playoffs. I think people are underestimating them. I feel the Twins are going to fall a little short, but don't cut them out of the postseason because I feel like they could be a problem. Okay, Luca, I was going to just mention the, the thing that did go off. I forgot that at the top of every hour we have a station ID call, so that's kind of why we did get interrupted by that, and we do apologize, folks. Uh, we are going to go to the AL West now, though, and uh, in my opinion, this is the Athletics division to lose. They find themselves six and a half, uh, the Astros actually find themselves six and a half games back of that division. The Athletics, there's no way, unless something drastic happens, they should be fine here. So, I mean, I got to go with the Athletics. And there's no way around it. The Athletics have to win that division. And if they don't, it's going to be one of the biggest joke artists I've ever seen in my life. So, Nick, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, the A's do have a couple of potentially tough series coming up against the Giants and especially the Dodgers. But they finish it out with a series with four games against the Mariners, which shouldn't be a challenge at all. I do think that the Astros are going to play pretty well the rest of the way. I mean, they have five games against the Rangers, three games against the Mariners, and three against the D-backs. So I'm not really sure what they're supposed to lose there, but it, they're just too far back to take the division. The A's have got it for sure. Yep, and to Nick's point, that is absolutely correct. Nor do I even want to see the Astros win the division because they don't deserve it. They're cheaters. We all know this. So the Athletics have definitely had this wrapped in the bag, in my opinion. Um, just Bobby Melvin is a great manager. I don't know how he does it every single year. This team doesn't really have notable names that you're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. They got someone like Marcus Simeon. They got Matt Chapman. They got Steven Piscotti. They got those guys. They got Olsen. Chris Brissett is, uh, I'm sorry, Brissett is the only starter that has actually put up relatively good numbers within this starting lineup. But the reason they have been being doing so well is the bullpen. Liam Hendricks, Joachim Soria, Yosmero Petit. Lou Trevino, Jake Dykeman, they have been doing very well. So that is another reason why the A's are having success, and having a good bullpen is definitely uh, success going down the stretch. I will thank you for that, Luca. We'll move to the NL East here, and uh, I think the question on everyone's mind, the Marlins can still do the improbable, folks. They find themselves two and a half games back in that first-place division, but they. this is why I say they can still do the improbable. They have four games in Atlanta, 
And although the Braves are playing mighty fine ball at home this year, they're 15-8 and eight at home. They do have four games against Miami at home. But I think, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that right there could de- decide who wins that division, especially with the Marlins early in the season having a bunch of COVID tests, COVID, uh, positive COVID tests. They still have a lot more games to play. They finish off their season with one at Boston, five versus the Nationals, four at the Braves, and uh, they got three at the Yankees, which I don't think the Yankees are going to take it easy on them either, especially if that comes down to like a division-winning uh, series. Braves have three at the New York Mets, four versus the Marlins, and three versus Boston. So even if Miami, even if they do, uh, they go 2-2 two and two in that series, then the Braves have to take on the struggling Boston Red Sox. And if the Marlins, if they take that, if they uh, go 2-2 two and two as well, then they, they do have uh, three against the hard uh, the Bronx Bombers of the New York Yankees, I'm, as I struggle to speak here. But uh, let's be honest, the Braves are going to win this division. I mean, there's no way that, I mean, I shouldn't say there's no way, because not only would I love to see it happen, it could happen. But I do think the Braves win this division. Marlins, though, not not hanging back too bad with a 2.5 game behind lead. But I think this is the Braves division to lose. Nick, what do you got on this? I agree. I think the Braves are going to pull it out here. I think maybe if the Braves had, you know, the Rays and the Yankees instead of the Mets and the Red Sox, the Marlins would have a chance. I think the Marlins are going to beat the Braves in that four-game series, but they're just this two and a half games back doesn't sound like a lot when you first look at it, but then when you look back at it and you see Braves, three games against the Mets, three games against the Red Sox, I mean, that's probably at least five, maybe six wins right there, and that's the division. Ryan was just talking about how the Marlins, he was basically talking about the Marlins like they're the L.A. Dodgers for a second. Good Lord. We got to pump the brakes here. Uh, Of course, I'm excited for what the Marlins have done this season, but we need to pump the brakes. Okay. The Atlanta Braves are going to win the NL East. It is plain and simple. The bats have exploded within some individuals. You got their catcher in Travis Denard. They got Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson, Adam uh, Duvall. Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Elbies has struggled a little bit this season. But the starting pitching is going to be a problem. It has been horrendous, with the exception of Max Freed, who's actually had a ERA below two. But Kyle Wright, Josh Tomlin, those other guys, they've been below average. The bullpen, though, not bad. They got Melikon, Shane Green. But I feel like they're going to pull that out. I don't feel like with a sort of a weak starting rotation they can get that far, but who knows? Maybe this year will be the year they prove all of us wrong. We shall see what happens. I don't think a, a manager in the name of Dan Don Mattingly is going to be able to uh, get the, get his team a division win there. But uh, we'll see what happens. We move on to the NL Central. Luca, I, and Nick's probably favorite division as we yes, all sir. love the Cubbies. And they find themselves... In a great position right now, headed in first place with, I think, maybe about 10, 11 more games remaining as I uh, look up. We're up five and a half games. And, uh, you know, the teams that we got left, the one series I'm actually kind of scared about is the last series we play the Chicago White Sox. Now, I will say if the Cardinals and Reds somehow just get on a hot streak here, that series could could potentially be a division-winning series for a team, but I just don't see the Cardinals and Reds doing anything, getting anywhere close. I would say they might, they may. The Cardinals and Reds may have a chance to make a wild-card spot, but right now it's the Cubs division to lose, and uh, they've been playing too good at baseball, man, and I just think that this is going to be another division win for the Cubs. But, uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on this, man? 
Yeah, I think that five-and-a-half game lead is enough. You know, I'm less confident in us against the Twins than against the White Sox, actually, just because the Twins series is in Minnesota. And like you said earlier, they've been playing lights out in Minnesota this season. Uh, if we didn't have those four against the Pirates in between the Twins and White Sox, might be a little worrisome. But with a five-and-a-half game lead, the Cardinals and Brewers still have to play five against each other. So as long as they split that, they kind of knock each other out. The Reds have to play against the White Sox and the Twins and the Brewers. And I just don't see any of them overcoming us here. I do think the Cardinals will get back around the Reds for second place. And the Reds will stay in third. Brewers will be in fourth. But I think the Cubs have the division in hand at this point. All right. First things first, um, I just want to mention the fact I was wrong at the beginning of the season to predict that this season would be so, or this, this, uh, I'm sorry, this division would be so close. It was not even close. The Cardinals are horrible. The Brewers look horrible. The Reds were overhyped, and they also look horrible. So the, let's be clear here. The Chicago Cubs, I believe, will win the NL Central. Do I think they're going to be that big of a threat? We don't know. We're kind of in the dark for that. But ever since they pill up guys in like Billy Hamilton or Cameron Mabin, they have been great additions to the team, in my opinion. Jason Hayward's been playing good lately. Uh, Jason Kipnis has showed up. But other people like Anthony Rizzo has not really showed up. But usually it's okay because the starting pitching has really lifted the Cubs this season. Alec Mills, John Lester, you Darvish, you name it. But the bullpen still has problems. So we got to be sure that the Cubs can fix that. Agreed, Luca. It should be a fun ending for the NL Central. Uh, we'll move the NL West here, and uh, we'll we'll talk about the first MLB team to clinch a postseason spot. And it is other none other than the Los Angeles Dodgers. They find themselves thirty-five and fifteen, playing seven hundred ball, and they have a solid three and a half game cushion for themselves. The question on everyone's mind, though, do the Padres have what it takes? To bump them spot and uh, bump the Dodgers out of that first place spot, as I did say, they only are three and a half games behind. But with only a couple of more games remaining, I think that the Padres are out of luck. Don't get me wrong; they're going to be in the playoffs, folks. The Do- the Padres have been an unbelievable team this year, but I just don't think they have what it takes to beat them, Dodgers. The Dodgers did, in fact, like I said, already clinch the spot. But I don't think they're going to take it easy the rest of the way. I think that they know the pod- this Padres team is good. They know what Padres can do, and I think they want to win this division. Padres going to be thirsty to win that division, but I think the Padres are going to be okay with maybe just finishing second and making the playoffs. But, uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on this one? I got the Dodgers winning this division. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clearly the Dodgers at this point. Uh, Four against the Rockies, three against the A's, three against the Angels for the Dodgers. That's pretty easy. Padres do have the Mariners and Angels, but then they have the Giants. I think the Giants will be with the last four games in the season, pushing for a wild card spot, you know. So they're going to be taking it to them really hard. I think the Dodgers not only are going to win the division, they're going to be the one seed in the NL, and they're going to be the only team in all of baseball to get over 40 wins this season. I think they'll go to the Reds in the first round, beat them, and then they'll see the Padres and face them in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, Nick, you're not wrong here at all. Um, The Dodgers, like we all know, they're always the best regular season team, but when it matters most, they choke every single year. I mean, it's not even hard to predict it. Not even. Of course, they're going to beat the Reds if they happen to play them the first thing, but 
I got to give some credit to the Dodgers, especially guys in like Will Smith, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager. They've been playing lights out this season. They're all batting over 300. So I got to give some credit where credit's due. But the problem is, it's always the pitching. I feel like Clayton Kershaw, he could be better, but you know Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs, he chokes constantly. Um, they have a relatively decent bullpen, but it's not going to last. But the Padres, could they win the division? No. I feel like it's out of reach right now. I feel like the Dodgers are going to take this. But Dodgers, watch out for the San Diego Padres. You'll be surprised what this team has. All right, well, as we're almost about here wrapping up our show, we got a couple of trivia questions to ask you, Nick. Uh, the first question we got for you, they're all multiple choice, so just give us a minute to say all of them. Where were the, the first question, where were the Chicago Bears founded? A, Decatur, Illinois, B, Chicago, Illinois, C, Peoria, Illinois, and D, Branson, Missouri. What was A? A was Decatur, Illinois. I might be saying it wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Decatur, yeah, it was that. Decatur is right, exactly. All right, Luke, you want to ask me the next question? Yeah, of course. All right, Nick, number two. Which was the only team to beat the Chicago Bears in 1985? A, Green Bay Packers, B, Miami Dolphins, C, New England Patriots, or D, the Dallas Cowboys? It was the New England Patriots, but they got revenge on them in the Super Bowl. That would be ten wins. So no, that'll be incorrect. That is incorrect, sir. B is the it is the Miami Dolphins. Oh yeah. Tough yep. question. Yep. Tough question that for is a you, tough Nick. Question. Uh, number three, another tough one. But you're a Bears fan, so you might be able to get this one. What was the Bears' record season in 2018? So I'm asking you, what was their record in 2018? All right, 2018. It was the year of the double doink. Um, <laughs> I want to say we went 11 and 5 to get to that point. Nick, that is very close, my friend. It was 12-4, and four, but I got to give you credit on that one. A tough question, and you barely just missed it. Good guess, though. All right, Nick. Obviously, you and I are both Cubby fans. Hopefully, you know this question. How many World Series titles have the Chicago Cubs won? All right. I'm scared to answer this with as much confidence as I got the last one wrong. Okay. But it's three, 1907, 08, and 2016. You should be getting some extra credit for that. Man, okay, I respect Yeah, good job. Nick, you should have no problem getting these next two questions right. Next question. Which Cubs pitcher recorded the most strikeouts in a single game? And, Nick, do I even have to give you the options? Potentially. All right. A, Jake Arrieta, B, Carlos Zambrano, C, Matt Garza, or D, Kerry Wood? Oh, man. I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. It was Kerry Wood, right? Yes, indeed it was. Man, you had me shaking over here in my seat, but yes, it is D, Kerry Wood. Yeah, I think it was actually 20 that game, I think. I think it was in 2001. I don't remember. Sorry. All right, Nick, number six. I hope you know this one. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, which Cubs player was the MVP in the 2016 World Series? Do you need the choices or you got it? No, Ben Zobrist. I got his jersey because of it. Yes, sir. Correct. All right, Nick. When was the first night game played in Wrigley Field? I got a poster of this in my room. 
It's a tough question, but I think you can get it. A, May 6, 1988. B, August 8, 1988. C, June 9, 1987. D, July 7, 1986. Do you want me to go back over them? No. Um, man, I was really confident that it was the 80s, and that's not helping me out here all that much. Want me to give you the, uh, the, other, the two 80s options? I'm thinking, I'm thinking it was the 87 one. Is that your guess? Yes. August 8th, 1988 was the first night game played at Wrigley Field, Nick. That's okay, man. You were one year off. It's, it's not bad. Not bad. That's a hard question. It I is. mean, a lot of people can't get that. I mean, I had to Google that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Nick. Next one. Um, This could be a tricky question. I don't know. What is the most amount of games the Cubs won in a regular, and I'm sorry, in a single season? I can't remember if 2016 was our best regular season or not, but we won 103 that year. Well, that'd so be that's incorrect. what I'm going to go with. Well, I'm sorry. That's incorrect. It was 116. I, I forgot the year. I should have wrote that down. Luca, I believe none of us were born. We could have been, but I'm... We were not born. I didn't oh, think so. <laughs> a long time ago. Well, it's yeah, okay. It's, yeah. All right, well, uh, Nick, we got two more for you. And since we are at the great state of Missouri, and we're here at Mizzou, who is the all-time career passing yards leader for the Missouri Tigers? A, Blaine Gabbert, B, Drew Locke, C, Chase Daniel, or D, Brad Smith? I'm going to go with Chase Daniel. C, Chase Daniel would be correct, sir. To be fair, he was my favorite quarterback last year on the Chicago Bears. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nick, last question. This could be a tough question, question, but since you're a journalism major, it may help. What year was the Kansas versus Missouri game that is called by some to be the first ever homecoming game? A, 1911, B, 1905, C, 1929, or D, 1931? All right. Um, I... Do not know, but I think that it may have been 1905. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. It was 1911. Hey, but you know what, Nick? We want to thank you for being on our show here today, man. I think you went 7 for 10 or 8 out of 10. One of the two. Not bad, man. Uh, I quizzed my girlfriend earlier, dude. She went 3 out of 10. So, <laughs> you know, you got you to gotta feel. I, I was hoping you'd do a little, a little better than that. But, uh, yeah, hey, man, Nick, thanks for uh, joining on, man. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I'd yeah. love to be back. Take care, Nick. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for watching or I'm sorry, thanks for listening for our second episode of Around the Waves. I hope we I, we hope you enjoyed our content today. And Ryan, I'm going to have you close it out. Yeah, thanks, Luca. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday at 2. Just join in KCOU.FM. And hey, we'll see you around. Saturday in Columbia is KCOU Sports Saturday. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia for all-day sports talk starting at 9 a.m. Cap off your sports Saturday with coverage of Mizzou football from the student voice of the Mizzou.